Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. I've been shot at, tear gassed, had knives pulled on me and spears thrown at me. But in all those years, what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit. Our ability, no matter where we're from, to overcome and make it through to the other side. So, in my new series, The Kempcast, I'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives. Right now, we're living in unprecedented times. And we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to the Campcast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is international rugby union player Heather Fisher. She's represented Team GB at the Olympics and also was part of the World Cup winning team of 2014. I hope you enjoy the show. Heather, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Do I call you Fish or do I call you Heather? Definitely Fish. Only my mum calls me Heather. <laughs> really? Okay. And, and, and how, long has that, how long has that been the nickname? Oh my God, since, since I started sport. I think it's naturally in sport, isn't it, where you always call someone a surname or nickname. Or, it's either Fish Cakes or Fish Finger or Fisher or... It's your absolute knob, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Kempy on the pitch. or was when I played. Um, oh, so we share that, don't we? I suppose the love of rugby. Well, I mean, I was going to start with your childhood, but let's just go, let's go rugby straight away. Um, when did you first start playing? Started playing. Well, I was first cap for England at the age of 26, but I started playing when I was about 16, 17, on the back of an Eden disorder. Um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know it was the sport I was aiming for and it wasn't the sport that I thought, right, this is my sport and this is the Olympic Games and this is where I'm going in my life. It was just a sport I fell into. I loved pushing myself to the absolute max. I loved like just training so hard. And then it was like, well, it was almost like looking at the Olympics and going, which sport could I actually play? Which one could I play? And before I knew it, I ended up in the route of rugby. Uh, and once I was on that route, I think once you're on that that I suppose that stage into going internationals and stuff it was just the path that I went went down you know but you know 
from reading, you always knew or you always wanted to be an athlete of some uh, of some description and to get to the top of whatever discipline you yeah. chose. Yeah. Yeah, that was I must admit that was like that was like the pinnacle for me like growing up watching the olympics on tv it was like my aim was to be an athlete and i didn't know how i didn't know when i didn't know what sports i used to take myself off cycling do, do martial arts um rowing i used to do literally everything and for me i don't know i, I kind of look back and go could i have gone to a different sport i probably could have um, but it was about just being an, an Olympic Games. It, it wasn't even about meddling at the Olympic Games, for honest with you. It was about being the best I could be amongst the best athletes in the world. And that's what drove me to like literally insane sessions. Um, but it ended up being rugby. I ended up um, training in the back garden, just passing the ball. And then I ended up at the local rugby club. Um, but that was on the back of anorexia. It was on the back of my parents going through divorce. It was on the back of my mom. We'll get there. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get, yeah, we'll yeah. Get. But, but it was on the back of all that. So I suppose when I went into rugby, it was like, I was just in rugby. It wasn't like, oh, wow, now I'm going to be X, Y, and Z. It was just, I'm just in rugby. And I didn't know where it was going to go. I just knew I wanted to be at that Olympic Games. Which she, which she succeeded in. And you, and you, and you've won a world cup. Haven't you as well? Yeah, yeah. Been to five World Cups, um, two seven, three fifteens, uh, World Cup uh, winners in 2014. First half of the year in 2014. Um, yeah, and then yeah. So I've been pretty busy. <laughs> um, we're going to go back to childhood, but also while we're on the subject of sports, Premiership started back. Uh, the football's back, uh, male, uh, but there doesn't seem to be much female sport being played. Maybe. A with the exception of golf. Yeah, this is really tough, isn't it? Because it's close to my heart. I think, you know, I, I'm not here to preach about females and where, where it should be, right? But what I do honestly know as being female is that it's fucking hard, right? It's in, it is so different to being a male and being a male in sport, especially, right? The fact that our England contracts are being taken away, whether you know that or not, that is, that is out there now. Um, whether the fact that you know, the Olympics goes ahead or not, there is still a seventh programme going. Uh, like you said, male rugby's back, that's all paid for, you know, the, the football's back, they can afford the testing, hence why they're back. And then you've got women's sports really not playing at all at the moment. And I just kind of feel if, if women's sport can't make it now, when can it make it? Because we're all about this open mind and we're all about females being strong and females on the up. It shouldn't really be a female thing for Monis Campy. It should be more about if you're good at what you do, you go and you fly that's it we take gender out of it but it is pretty frustrating when you've got sports going out there and the females aren't you know so is the reason for this purely sponsorship that there's more money in the male game yeah it's a vicious circle i think you get caught between more money in the male game more sponsors it gets more tv and then obviously if you flip that around its head if the females aren't getting the sponsors and the sponsors don't get the tv coverage the tv coverage don't want it and it goes around in that, in that cycle so it's almost like a buy-in from the businesses. Like you're starting to see in business now where business people go, oh, we need more females. But it shouldn't be about needing more females. It should want the females because females are good at, you, we're all good at certain things, aren't we? You know, you're good at chasing, you know, like, like crazy TV programs around the world. You know, I'm good at playing rugby, you know? And it, it is what it is. And it shouldn't be about the guy or the girl, the gender. And I suppose, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating circle between media sponsors and then tv and then tv rights and how it happens um 
do you do you think that the, the, the female game, even at international level now, may be under threat then? Yeah, so recently the sevens contracts have been absolutely kaput. Guys and girls, not just girls. Um, the sevens programme from the RFU have been completely stopped. Now, we've still got Tokyo. The new Tokyo 2021 is still there. If it happens. If it happens, it gets confirmed in October or not confirmed. I think if anyone, if anything can bring sport together, it'll be the Olympic Games. Olympics always unites everyone, doesn't it? Around the world, from wherever you are, it doesn't matter what you look like, what you have, what you haven't got, where you're from. You, like Sport unites everyone. So I really hope it does get back. But with that in mind, I think it's around the world. We're all going back now and sports are going back. But at the moment, as you can see, I'm still walking the streets of my house, which I find really difficult. I feel like mentally you go in and out of vibes. Like I'm not, I'm used to being so ridiculously busy and all of a sudden I'm kind of clocking the steps of my house thinking, what do I do next? Where do I go? And it's not because I haven't got stuff on. It's more the fact that I'm just, my purpose at the moment has changed so much. And like a click of a finger, my life has gone upside down. So, you know, I've worked out how old you are because I was born with a four as well, but 20 years earlier than you. So you're, you're 36, all right? 36 so, Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is that? it as you get older, you forget your age, don't you? Trust me, that's because you're getting older. <laughs> But, you know, 36, isn't that about the time that most people pull the pin? Yeah. Yeah. So, you, yeah. so, you, so what you are, what, I mean, I, 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 I assume then that, that that Olympics will be your last, probably your last hurrah, yeah? Yeah, totally. My, my aim was the Olympic Games now, like summer now, and that was it. Boots have been hung up. Yeah, that was it. Uh, and I think, you know, I was having a discussion the other day about females and, it's females and sport and business but if you want a family if you want all that you know the guys have got the family at home because it doesn't take the females you know it's obviously a completely different role isn't it for, for a female to have a baby with, and they've got business to think about got sport to think about you can't run around you can't run around getting hit by people while you're carrying no exactly while i'm carrying a little child you just can't do it whereas obviously it's very different for a guy so it does affect everything but you know what can be is what it is isn't it and we are where we are and you know you may do what you've got and you set out to make better better choices to change things in the future to inspire the next generation you set out to do that in the hope that one day it will start people will start to open their eyes up a little bit wider and then you'll see change there's something that you said and i really liked it i'm not really in it in it for the medals you're in it for the sort of the experience is that right yeah i've never been bothered about the medals that weird and that might be really weird for some athletes to hear or yeah i've never been i wouldn't even know where half our medals are now they're, they're they're somewhere i wouldn't even know they are but i have one hung up and that was from two years ago qualifying at the worst tournament in russia with probably no food in the middle of nowhere against the russians and it was just as a team it was absolutely a brilliant and unique experience that's the only medal i have hanging up um, the commonwealth games world cup medals sevens fifteens I'll be honest, hand on heart, I don't actually know where half them are. Um, because it isn't about the medals. I don't think as well you can, I don't believe in chasing the money. I don't believe in chasing medals. Obviously, it drives you and obviously you need it. I'm not saying we don't. But what I think has driven me personally is my experiences, um, the will and the drive to want to be better as a person and as a sports person. And that's what's always driven me to be at my best. But you are a bit of a comeback queen as well. I mean, how many serious injuries have you sustained? in your career serious serious probably i call breaks serious okay three probably three big three big injuries the rest i can kind of take you know a few minutes out but three big ones talk me through them 
Um, my first, one of my first biggest ones was like, re, like I tore my whole shoulder. So that got reattached. Um, again, that wasn't, it was serious, but you know, it was a big one because it's, you know, you need your shoulders and you need your, in rugby, everyone does their shoulders. You wouldn't be a rugby player if you didn't rip your shoulder off. Um, but, um, tendon, I had really bad tendonitis in my knee, like really bad, um, where they had to rip my, you know, my knee open and had septicemia on the back of that knee as well. I had blood poisoning in the same leg. Really? Yeah. So I had blood poisoning and then I had a, a fractured kneecap. So when I had tendonitis, it wasn't as straightforward as just tendonitis. It was pretty bad. Um, that took me out for a good couple of years. But then my biggest injury, which was the hardest one, was my back because I, f- I had a back fracture in my back. Um, and it was only one fracture. You went up to catch the ball and you caught it behind your, your head. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I went up, went up to catch it almost above my head and I put my knees down and I caught it. As I caught it, I went back and then someone took me out mid-air. And so I ended up landing on my, on my back, back here. Well, your arms um, are, are behind you, effectively. Yeah, up here, yeah. And, and it wasn't just one fracture though was it it was originally and then it went two three four so it got worse and worse and worse so what was really weird about this injury is that as a sports person i would say i'm i would say i feel like i'm invincible that's how i play rugby i play the game of life like i feel like i'm invincible so when something happens i kind of i suppose it shocks me because i don't really i don't really set myself up thinking that's going to happen but i walked off the pitch and i never walk off the pitch it just doesn't happen um, so I walked off the pitch and then the next day I carried on playing. The next day I was training, but I couldn't rotate. So it was really like physios were like fish, but you're moving pretty well. And I hide injuries pretty well because I'm pretty ro- robust. Um, but I really couldn't rotate. Anyway, we rested a few weeks, went to a tournament, played a whole tournament. This And this tournament was pretty surreal because we had one physio within a team and it was literally like, and I need you again, and, and, and. It was literally like I had my personal physio because I was in that much pain that I would start a game, come off, ice bar, physio, and my pain was that bad that I was just holding on for dear life because no one had said to me that I had a fracture. I just kept playing. So I played on for a tournament. After that tournament, we had it scanned, and it showed, two, it showed then two fractures in my, in my lower back. And then as an athlete, you're taught that pain is your friend. So in a way, you have pain, you know, you know to back off, you know to rest. And I knew I had an unbelievable amount of pain in my back that, that kept going down to my leg that, like I couldn't walk and then it would change and go up my back so it was moving all the time around my spine um and then so I rested and then I had another scan it showed three fractures and then we rested in them six weeks and then I had another scan it showed four fractures so in four different parts columns of your spine you'd actually fractured yeah but they were below each other which almost is worse because then your disc if your disc slips in you're paralyzed so it was pretty unbelievable news I think when you feel like you're invincible and I've set out you know I say it now quite like you know I'm okay with it but if I take myself back in my head when you're you know in your early 20s you're starting your sports career and that you know you're good at what you do but yet you're on the up and your aim is an Olympic Games as an athlete you're not sure which direction it's going yet but I know where I want to be I know I wanted to play for England now um and I kind of just like that, I realized actually it was taken away from me. Um, and that was really tough because then I, I realized that I wasn't invincible. And that might sound really stupid, but no, I don't, I've always felt like I'm invincible. But, you were, but, but you're not putting a cast. Yes. Yeah, so then, um, so I was due to have surgery. So I was due to go down to Harley Street for surgery. And then the morning of surgery, my doctor called me and said, Fish, 
we're not going to fuse you because they're going to fuse my lower back. If you fuse the lower back, you know, people out there will know this. If you fuse, you can't move. So that would have affected the whole of my career. So it was a big decision made from the England doctor last minute. Um, but they pulled me out of surgery and they said, we're going to rehab you. And I was like, and there was no, there was no, you know, I was in my early 20s. There was no proof that this was going to work. There was no proof that I was going to get back strong. There was no proof that they weren't going to get worse and I could do this. But I knew I had a long road ahead of me. Um, so I was back down on Harley Street, got strapped up, plastic acid from my neck, and my waist, um, strapped up. Um, and that was, that was really tough because all of a sudden, you know, from, from my eating disorder, which we haven't spoken about yet, but from my eating disorder, then into a plaster cast, my nickname became Jelly Belly. I became bigger. I lost my hair. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it's escalated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Escalated. So, so, you know, for someone who was obviously totally obsessed with training, totally obsessed with achieving a goal, all of a sudden you're on your back in a plaster cast yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and the thing that you, you fear, the thing that you say, and I know you've said it is that once you had a eating disorder, it's always in the background yeah. somewhere. It never leaves you. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute, but there, so there you are and you can't exercise and your dream is slowly slipping out the window. Plus you're one of your worst fears, which is the fear of, of putting on weight is materializing because you aren't as active you can't be active yeah it was really hard i'm not not you know i sit here now talking about it but yeah i find it hard talking about it because it's somewhere i never really go because it was so hard my rehab took two years to get back and, and i remember sitting every day thinking am i going to make it back um because you know initially when i did, had my injury i had so much pain like unbelievable amounts of pain for probably three weeks like ridiculous like couldn't even move and I was having to we laugh about it but I was having to when I played rugby when we didn't know it was fractured but it was fractured I was trying to hit people so hard that I would rebound back to my feet because I couldn't push through my back I couldn't push back up so I was trying to hit I was trying to run that hard that I either ran through them or I collided with them so much that I would hit to the deck and come Bounce back off. up because yeah because I, I couldn't physically move my back so the amount of pain that I was in then all of a sudden four weeks down the line um, five, six, seven weeks down the line, I've been told that that's it. There's no, there's no training. There's no internationals. There's no English shirts. It's a plaster cast. We, we have to rest. You can't do anything. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, what, who, who am I? What's my density? What's my goal? Where's, where's, who, what's my purpose? Where do I go? Where do I start? And all that happens, then you've got that. And then alongside that, said at the start, pain is your friend. As an athlete, pain is your friend. I had no pain. So what I couldn't understand is that I've got this really big injury that I know is going on here, but I can't see it and I can't feel anything. There's no pain. And that was really, really hard because psychologically you're like, well, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. And yet you've been pulled back for a very long time. How, how down did you get? Uh, yeah, I hit rock bottom. Yeah. Like, I was, yeah, depressed and didn't eat, lost my hair, lost my relationship. Yeah, I went, yeah. But you're coming back from a year. Sorry, you're all right. Sorry, I know. I'm trying to stop crying. I, it's all right. It's just what, what's really hard, you know, is that you have to take yourself back there to talk about it. You have yeah. to take yourself back there. And it's like something you avoid, like, you know, it happened to you, but you just go, whoa, it's over there somewhere. It's, never, it, it's now the past. We try, we try to block out the trauma in our lives. It's, it's, it's totally. a human, yeah. it's, a natural, it's a natural response to pain, isn't it? Whether it's emotional or physical. Um, 
sorry to have taken you back there, but I think again, it, it's testament to who you are. And it says a lot about who you are, Fish, that you managed to come back. But take me back to the moment that you're on that pitch for the first time and everything's on the line. Because if someone hits you, or if you go in half-hearted, you could be, that's your career over, right? But it wasn't, Yeah, was I was it? scared, I was really scared. So um, two weeks before I was due to go back into England and camp, I had a really supportive coach at the time, and he was like, Fish, I wanna bring you back in, and I wanna take to Hong Kong. And I was like, Baz, I haven't played. I haven't, I haven't played like Fish, I, I want you in my team. So I remember sitting down, I pulled up a chair alongside my mom at the time, I went back home, pulled up a chair back next to my mom, my stepdad. And I said, they've asked me to play, but we honestly didn't know hand on heart if if I got hit and the and basically we stopped having scans. We stopped having scans because we thought, let's treat the athlete, not the scan. So we stopped having scans. So I wasn't sure if they'd healed or not healed. We didn't know. All I knew is that we had made myself two years later as robust as I could have been around my core around the way I moved, the way I walk. I had to learn to walk, crawl and run again, all from scratch. And we've made myself so strong. Um, so when the time came to go and play, there was no testing it out really. We did a bit of contact, but not really. We just did light to see how I was gonna get on. And they just said, fish, it's the risk that we now take. Obviously a massive risk. So I pulled up a chair and I said, look, I've been asked to go and play in Hong Kong and I take the risk. And that is what it is. But if I get hit in, I risked being paralyzed. That was the risk I took. Um, and I sat down there and we all had the same opinion. My mom, my stepdad and me that I would rather try than never know. Because if I, if, I, if I never know, it would just be through fear of being paralyzed. And actually I can't live with the thought of not knowing. So I took that risk. <laughs> but it is quite a big risk, isn't it? A massive risk. Yeah, really scary. I was shit scared. So when I sat in the tunnel, I took my shirt in and I've already looked at the mirror and, and I know my role. I know exactly what I've got to do. And I'm going to, I know exactly my role and how I'm going to do it. I took my shirt in. I stand at the back of the tunnel. I, I like to stand at the back of the line, hands on hips and, I, and I'm ready. And I don't care. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm just in that zone. It's four white lines, 14 players. Let's go, bring it on. But this time I stood in the tunnel and we were opposite Canada, and I stood there thinking, shit, 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 shit. And that's all I could think. I didn't know if I was ready, and I kept thinking, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. And I was like, what if I haven't? You have. What if you haven't? You have. And I literally remember standing there thinking, I'm not ready. I ran out and made my first hit, and I was like, I'm okay. And from there, my confidence just grew. But then it took me about five years to get back up for a high ball again because I was, I was just so scared of taking it, you know, being taken out again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But you did it. That's the point. Let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about um, growing up. Um, you grew up in the Midlands, yeah? I did. Brummie. Brummie? Brummie. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, time was pretty tough. Um, I never really fitted in. Uh, I never really had friends. I never really... I wasn't like liked, but I wasn't, I wasn't anyone's best mate. I was always on my own agenda. I don't know what agenda, but I was on this agenda to be the best I could ever be in something. I was on this path to prove my parents wrong, that I was going to be someone. Um, Why, did they say that you weren't? I, I, they went through a divorce really early on in my, in my age, I suppose, uh, quite young. And I was separated from my brother and my sister and my dad. I grew up with my mom, hence why she's my rock. And... Uh, she's the strongest woman I know and I suppose she's brought me up pretty strong but at the same time <clears throat> I found it very hard that's probably what kicked off my anorexia my eating disorder 
but life was pretty tough. You didn't see your dad for a period of time or your brothers and sisters, is that right? Yeah, it's completely separate from a lot of my family, a lot of my family. And that was really hard, you know, it was, it was um, really hard. And especially when your parents go, you know, certainly these days, a lot of parents go through divorce, but it doesn't stop the child feeling insignificant and lost. And it doesn't stop them feeling, well, why don't you want me? Why don't you talk to me? At the end of the day, just because a, a one, one child's gone off with someone else doesn't mean that the parent doesn't want them, but yet that's how it's perceived to the child. And that's how it was to me. And um, my dad didn't have anything to do with me. Um, that, that was it. Um, I remember writing him a hate, hate letter, you know, and being like, why? Um, and then from there, I suppose I started to find my own feet without my dad, but then I had a stepdad in my life and he became my dad. Um, and it was like that male figure that I just didn't have growing up. It's very different to now, yeah, in terms of... Action. Very different. Yeah, very different. I'm very close to my dad now, but it, yeah. But that's good. I mean, I saw that. So, so, so you have reconciled, yeah? Yeah, totally. And I think anyone in life, I think we all go through hard times, but you do have to be able to accept and understand what's happened to you to be able to move on. It's part of the healing process. And, you know, we all make mistakes. We all go through things and it it won't it doesn't define us, does it? People say, oh, that defined me or that defined me. Nothing's defined me. I'm not defined by anything, but things have affected me. And you overcome them, you learn from them, you, you understand them, you accept them, and you move on and you keep going. You said you moved around a lot. Uh, you've you, you been through a divorce. So is that, is that what you think sparked it? Sparked the eating disorder? Yeah, I think rejection. I think rejection from my dad. I think moving around schools, not really fitting in anywhere. Having my own identity. I was quite muscular as a girl when I was younger because I was training. My way to focus myself was my training because I was on this mission to be an athlete. So I was always in the gym from the age of 12, 30 years older than the gym. So I was muscular. Um, I did have hair at the time, but I suppose I, I did look different in terms of my, my physique. Um, my dad didn't really want anything to do with me. My mom was struggling and I was probably quite strong for her. Then I had a brother and sister I didn't really talk to. Then I went to secondary school, three different ones, because my mom moved around. So I had to, I went with her. Um, and I suppose it just led me feeling to really, uh, I had no, had no home. I had no base. Um, my home. Yeah, yeah. But you've always, it looks like that because you weren't integrating maybe so much with other kids, what you did was you, you, you said, well, if I'm not going to have that, then I'm going to get myself fit. I'm going to be that athlete. Was that yeah, something that, that drove was, Yes. Yeah. And, that, and that's what drove me. That was, my, that was what drove me. It drove me to be better for my mom. It drove me to look after her if anything happened to her. It drove me to kind of prove my dad that I could be someone. It drove me through a lot of my emotion, drove me through all my success, I would say. And it's weird because actually after 2016 Olympics, I kind of ran out of that emotion. And I felt like, I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to fight for anyone. I have no one that doesn't need my help. I've got it all here. All I've done is prove it to myself. And actually, I don't feel like I'm fighting anymore. And it was almost like a, a weight lifted off my shoulders because I thought, actually, I can just be who I am. And there's nothing to fear or nothing to hide because I've gone through literally the rockiest of roads my whole life. Mm. But what I would say is that an eating disorder is contrary to someone who's training to become an international athlete, isn't it? Yeah, that was hard. I mean, did you, did you, were you aware of that? Or is it just that the, it was the emotion of, of, uh, of where you, the emotional place that you were in, it didn't matter that you were training to become an athlete. You just didn't want to eat. Yeah, it was hard. So originally I was trained to be an athlete and I was rowing, I was rowing at the time at Stratford Rowing Club. They're all in Lycra. They're all skinny. You know, you all see on TV and adverts, women looking like slim and, you know, lovely blonde hair and, 
you know, they're all slim. And I didn't really fit into that mold. So you try as a youngster, as I think as a female, people still do you try and fit into this mold of society about what you should look like. Um, so that was probably quite strong when I was younger. And then I started sport and I knew what I knew I had to be fit for my sport. I knew I had to eat well, but there wasn't enough education around what is eating well. Is eating well eating less? No, it's not. Eating well isn't that at all, but that's how I perceived it. So I started eating well, eating less. Before I knew it, I started looking differently, uh, I suppose, getting skinnier, but I wasn't aware of that. Then my dad came back into my life for a period of time and it became quite, quite a big conflict. And then it got worse. And then my mom met my stepdad and then it got even worse. And then it became about, you're telling me to eat. So you know what? I'm not going to eat. You're telling me to do it. You can get lost. And I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care. And all of a sudden, gone. You got offered 50 pounds for you eat a sandwich. Is that right? I did. I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat a sandwich of 50 pounds. I'll eat 50 pounds worth of sandwiches. <laughs> um, but no, you, you would have literally, as a child, if someone said to you, here's 50 pounds, you, 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 if you haven't been through an eating disorder, you go, what? Come on, eat the sandwich. Yeah. 50 pounds. But it's not that. Could you, could you put me in, could you take me back there and explain to me just what what you were thinking at the time where your emotions were i think not i think i know i was just lost i was completely lost i was alone my mom was pregnant again with um with my younger brother um i hated my stepdad i hated my stepsister i got bullied at school by my stepsister so school was really uncomfortable um i came home i didn't like my home life completely different house completely different a, a guy trying to play as my stepdad when he wasn't my stepdad my mom's attention gone because she'd met someone else and all of a sudden i'm like i'm lost i've got i've got no one and i had no friends because i was at three different schools then i had no brother and sister because i didn't know them so i it i was just so alone i think and then if you put that together with my goal of what I wanted to become an athlete the only thing I knew was my sport but then the first thing you do in well the first thing I do when I'm upset I don't eat so I suppose I, I got stuck in this vicious circle of training because right you're not talking to me I don't want to know you I don't want to be here sod it I'll put 50p in my in my shoe in case I got lost off on the bike go and I'll just try and get myself lost and come back hours later just and try and train as hard as I could because I knew I knew I I knew I could be an athlete. I just didn't know what sport. So I was still on this mission. And then with all that, I then had all the stuff from my parents going on, and actually I couldn't control it. So it's lack of control. But the one thing I could control was my food. And then I realised it got their attention. Then that vicious circle started, and this I didn't realise this until a couple of years ago. And I realised actually, once I wasn't eating, I got my mom's attention. And then I did it more and more and more and more. But obviously then I got stuck in a hole and um, I got stuck in a road. There's no pictures out there of anything because I was stuck in a real bad hole for, for a good year where every night I was seeing psychologists, counsellors, doctors. I was weighed every night, threatened to go back into hospital, fed off drips. Um, I went to see the drips, went to see the girls and the guys on drips and being fed. And and if I, if I went down one more knot, that was going to be me. Um, that happened for a good eight months of my life into a year and then probably affected me for two years. I then had glandular fever off the back of that, missed a lot of school. So it got worse. And what pulled you through? What got you through it? 
a nutritionist pulled me aside and he said to me, Heather Fisher, he said, what do you want to be when you're older? I said, an athlete. And all he said to me, Kempi, is you won't be an athlete unless you eat. That was, a, that was all he said. And that set me up for life. What's your advice to anyone who's is either a family member or themselves are going through an eating disorder right now? For the family, it's really hard. You've got to try and be there and be be the good, be the bad, be the ugly, because you're trying to force someone to eat, but you overforce that rebel. So it's about being there for them and just supporting them as much as they can. But emotionally, not just force them how to eat. If you make people feel comfortable and safe in an environment, they will naturally go and eat. So for me, it's that it's that safe place to be, that environment, uh, and creating that. And for the person, for the young person or the older person who's struggling with eating disorder, you got it, it. It's you or it's it, and it's literally down to if you're going to let it beat you because it it literally is. I was lost in it. I was like it was like a spiral. I didn't know <clears throat> I didn't know I was in the spiral until it was too late. And I would cry for help. I knew I was really ill. And I could feel it. I could feel my body change. I got the ball patches. I, f- I could feel I-, I was stick. I was literally stick, a stick. And But then I would fight and go, fuck off, mom. I don't want you in my life. Get lost. And I would fight the whole time. And she dragged me around to hospitals. And that made me worse. But then the people in those roles have a real big responsibility. Because when I've seen the counsellors and the doctors, they brought up so much of my past through what I'd been through already as a young child that actually that made me worse because it just brought everything up. It made me feel so much hate towards my parents and my mom especially that I'd get in the car after a counselling session and just literally just go, don't even talk to me. But then actually all they're trying to do is bring it up. You can't understand those emotions when you're that young. Um, and eventually it was the driver wanting to be that athlete so much. Um, that that's what got me through and the words that nutritionist have never ever left me because you know an eating disorder never leaves you so when you have a bad day or you feel bad you know there are days now i'm a muscular female and i'm bald so put that together i feel literally like like an alien sometimes but i've got to remember that i'm built for a reason and i've lost my hair for a reason and there's a big full stop at the end of it because if i overthink that you get lost in it all and you get lost in your identity and your purpose and you know, people staring at you, you get lost in all that side of it. So you, I ha- had to learn to probably put big full stops and just go, that's all it is. So you, you overcome your eating disorder, uh, but as you say, that, that it's always there somewhere in the background, but it's, it's, you, you find a way of putting a full stop behind it and you progress into a sport that you love, which is, which is rugby. Um, but you also, not only do you represent your country at sevens and at fifteens, you also represent your country at bobsleigh. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever done that one? We tried uh, that? No. <laughs> and after reading what you said about it, I'm probably not going to actually. <laughs> My tender old age. Talk about how did that happen? Someone just came up to me and said, uh, "I didn't know my name, so I didn't say fish." But they said, um, "Do you mind me asking what sport do you do?" I said, "I play rugby." And they said, we're looking for athletes for the 2010 Olympic Games. Do you fancy trying out? Really? Yeah, I sat in my my vest looking like, you know, as strong as anything. And I was like, oh, I I didn't know we had a bobsleigh team. I was like, I know cool runnings. I know the lucky egg. And that's as good as it gets. But then from there, I just progressed on to Team GB. It's one of those things. It's like when you, you know, when you watch 
the skiing, right? Until you actually go skiing, because you see it on the television, it looks a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. When you get to the piste, it's a bit like that. <laughs> it's literally like this. And, and, and for, for, for a bobsleigh to reach 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, it has to be going down like that, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it's, ridic it's a ridiculous sport. I got to the top of the mountain. So I'd done all my trials and stuff, and I wasn't the fastest, but I, I was starting to run downhill, so I was starting to accumulate speed. So I was starting to become this athlete that was more endurance-based, and I was strong, and I was powerful, and I was fit. So I was overall a good athlete. But then I became very specialised. Like I was pushing for five seconds max, or I was lifting for three reps and no more. So I became very specialised in my speed and power. But then everything else. So, so in terms of playing playing eighty minutes, you wouldn't have been able to do it. No, I wasn't able to do. You could shove something very, very heavy, very, very quickly over a short period of time. Yeah, exactly yeah. what the job is, isn't it? Is to get exactly. the going as fast as possible and jump into it, right? Exactly, which is ridiculous. I got to the top of the mountain and I was like, shit. Then my coach Pete like pushed me up. I was like, off you go, fish. I'm like, oh my god. And I was like, oh, this is okay. I remember looking around. It was in Lake Placid, so we'd had this build-up for like six months. Then first of all, I had the difficult conversation with England to say, if I'm good enough, I'll be back. That was it. That's all I said. I said, if I'm good enough for England, I'll, I'll be there in the future. I've got an opportunity right now that I can't say no to. And he was like, okay, Fisher, good luck. I was like, shit, I've made my bed now. I have to lie in it. So off I went and I went training. And I love the training at Bath University. But when it went to the slopes, oh my gosh, I literally hated it. And I had a headache every day. My eyes were streaming. My nose was streaming. My, my abs were hurting. My forearms were killing. I was absolutely freezing cold in minus 40 degrees in like lycra and like nothing else on. I was honestly, it was so hard. It was so tough. Because um, I, I, I look at it and I go, oh, look, that's all right. And then once they're in there, they're safe. But it's crazy. not crazy. No, it's crazy. You get more bumps in there than you do in rugby. Do you really? Did you get? Do you feel more battered and bruised? I had I had bruises, battered and bruised everywhere, like ice burns. You have to really tuck up, and then you know your head's being pushed down. Like the the, the g force on your body is insane. Like everything's burning, but not even that. Like then you have to know where you are at the bottom of the track. But then pull on the brakes. But then I started to get like because I had like a few concussions in rugby. I used to get quite bad motion sickness. So as you can imagine, going down a roller coaster at 90 miles an hour, I was like, oh my God. So you're, there you are, you're, you're, you're in a bobsleigh going down a hill that's perpendicular at 98 miles an hour and you get travel sickness. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I was sick in my helmet once and that wasn't so good. <laughs> at what point in the journey was that? Was that at the beginning? Was it swilling around for some time inside that helmet? No, it was towards the bottom of the, of the track, thank gosh. It was literally on, in Canada as well. It was pretty bad. But yeah, I was, yeah, I think because I had a, a couple of, so, so I basically did bobsleigh. I went back to rugby for the winter and came back out for bobsleigh. But I'd broken my hand, so I was in a plaster cast in one hand. And obviously, as you push off the bob, I had a plaster cast. So I tried to, I jumped in with one arm. I, got, I made it in, thank God. But then because I'd hit my head and I'd had a what I'd just come off the back of World Cup in 15s. Um, and I was still, I would still like to think I could have made the Olympics in 2010. So the World Cup was in 2009 and the early 2010 and then the Olympic Games was happening in 2010. I went back out there. Um, I was a bit heavier, so I was on the back of my diet, which again was really shit for anorexia. Um, but I just tried to make, you know, tried to make do of what I got. McLaren got involved. They put lighter wings on so I could try and compete. 
Um, I'd had a couple of knocks to my head and got completely knocked out, like wiped, no memory in the World Cup months ago. And then so when I went out to Bobsleigh, I was sick in my helmet and couldn't cope with the couldn't cope with the speed. And is that what and is that what and is that what finished your career with that? <clears throat> yeah, it was really. It was a combination, if I'm honest, Kempi. It was a combination of being away from home and I think because I've craved stability my whole life, I'm now I'm so now unstable. I'm literally living around the world out of suitcases, traveling the world being a bobslayer, but no real security behind me. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, great being an athlete but it's all about being for me it was about achieving as a whole person not just in one not just in one sport you know so there was that on my mind then I had um, my hair loss started to occur and I think that was because the diet that I was starting to I started to eat a European diet like have goulash for breakfast for crying out loud you know like just weird stuff for breakfast and it was just what it was because you you would end up in different countries so the food started to change it then started to affect my stomach and then i was starting to get ill and with bobsleigh right do you do you think fish that the, the, the fact that you'd had that eating disorder and then that change in diet had a that that that, that exacerbated yeah i think so it's really hard to tell isn't it like it's really it's really hard to tell but i think so i think anorexia has obviously done stuff to our body more than I thought it probably could have done and you don't understand that as when you're young and go through you don't understand the effects it has then I'm playing a contact sport and I push myself to my absolute max like I'm a bit ridiculous in my training um and then that combined then swapping sports and every Friday you would race off and put pressure on yourself to be the best and be the best you could be to race and represent team GB for that weekend but I was just getting quite ill and that's probably because my glandular fever so I had glandular fever again for the second time and then I had burnout. So I was due to go to the World Championships with G um, Team GB. And then a doctor pulled me out because I had I, I was burnt out. I had overtraining syndrome. So they pulled me out from that. And I literally went back home to my stepdad and my mum at the time. Had a massive cry, re-evaluated re life and just thought, you know what? I just need a normal job for like, I just need a normal job. I need stability. That didn't last very long. It lasted a week. What did you do? What did you do? Well, I wasn't really a qualified teacher, but I went to teach in school. <laughs> don't, ask, don't ask how it happened. But that happened for about a week. Um, my, yeah, my stepdad had a furniture business, so I was lifting sofas around. But I didn't want to see a gym. And then, then I knew I wasn't very well because I didn't want to see a gym. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to be normal, so-called normal. But then after approximately probably three weeks, I thought, fish come on you've still got this ahead of you like get back out there but then I had a phone call from my current coach who's just it's just finished now it's a sevens program and then I've been full-time sevens player since one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you think you're obsessive? Yeah. I think all successful people are to a certain extent. Mm. I think you have to be if you want to succeed. And I don't think it's the defining or definition of success, but I do think, yeah, you have to be pretty, pretty uh, obsessive and pretty controlling to be at the top because I think so much can throw you off the top. It's almost easy to get to the top. What's hard is staying at the top. Yeah. And you've been, you've been there or thereabouts for a very long time, right? Yeah, I've been very I've been lucky. I've worked worked my socks off. You know, someone just said today, if you're on the phone, fish, like you've got it set up. I'm like, I haven't, mate. I've just worked my socks off. And I always wanted my sport. If if women's sport could never like it's not an excuse because I'm female and I would never have that excuse. I'd compete against, you know, a guy at any time and I don't care about the gender. So for me, when someone goes, Oh, you play rugby and you're female. So I don't give I don't give a shit. I'll always make sure I represent females in such a positive way that actually take gender away of it, take gender out of it. I know I'll, I'll I can hit the top, and for me it's been really important representing females and myself because then I think you can springboard to other levels and other components of life just because of what you've gone through. Experience, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about um, you know how you first realised that that, that that you had alopecia that's probably the hardest time of my life this one always makes you cry and i'm not gonna cry um but this yeah for me my hair loss was um loss of identity um ugly don't fit in don't shouldn't be going out shouldn't be meeting people shouldn't be go i would i shouldn't be going out into public places um shouldn't be shouldn't be seen i just shouldn't be seen this is like this is like rock bottom where were you in your career at the time, sports career? I was about to represent England in a World Cup. Far out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and um, yeah, Sky Sports are really good actually because they they covered a lot of the World Cup, all the World Cup, and they they were they made a real positive, um, I suppose not campaign but awareness about my alopecia because I had a lot of messages about cancer and and what's wrong with Fisher, she's ill. And I, I suppose I just felt like I couldn't, it changed me. When I lost my hair, my personality went from here to like here. Did it affect the way you played? Did it affect them? No, I'm talking from a mental point of no, view. No, no, no. That's the only thing why the love of rugby is still there. Because on the pitch is the only time that I can be myself without people judging what I look like. They judge my performance. Everywhere I went, people people just turn around and stare and stop and i'll be in hong kong and i'll have like people or police well, waiting outside yeah and i'll be in the non-players bit okay so in the audience bit and i'll go to the toilet and i'll have like police waiting outside with the toilets are or i've had like women like get their broomsticks and try and prod the toilets open to get me out because they think what because because they think, you're think the i'm a guy gender. and a girl yeah yeah yeah. you can't understand the gender and i and originally what's happening i'd get upset and then i'd be like get down about it i go my emotions go like this 
Um, but actually I've learned that it's their naivety and I'm true to who I am and I don't want to wear a wig. I don't want to hide because that brings on different emotions and wig brings on different emotions. It didn't sit right with me. Didn't sit right with you. No, it just didn't sit right. It, I just didn't feel like I was me. I would spend most of the time there, like just looking at like being really proud of it. And then I would like, be looking at myself like this. And then I soon realized, I can't take it off because it's not really real. And then it kind of hits home actually, why, why am I wearing it? Being genuine, very important to you. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, genuine, yeah. I, I, yeah, everyone I meet, everyone I, uh, colleagues, people I work with or do things with, it's, yeah, it's, that's close to my heart because I think I've lived my whole life being genuine between honest and true who, to who I am with no hidden, that's it. And not for any more reason than that's the way I deal with it. And I've realised it helps other people. That's it. You actually work for the Alopecia Foundation, your ambassador. Yeah, ambassador. Yeah. Just explain to me, uh, Fish, what alopecia is, please. Um, they don't really know themselves, so I'm going to try and explain here. But no one really knows, hence why there's no cure. You, you, know, you know that it affect, it, it's got something to do with the immune system, correct? Yeah, they say so. it affects the immune system. So it's when the hair follicles attack the... Yeah, your immune system affects basically attacks the hair follicles. That's basically what it is. So it, I suppose it's similar to when people don't have enough of the fighting cells and they eat their own cells and they, then they haven't got enough immunity to be able to support their system. It's similar. So when your body's under pressure, some people might get spots. And that's a sign of you, you, you know, you're tired, you've overdone it. And for people who, I suppose, struggle with immunity, it will be hair loss, it will be body hair, um, it will be constantly being run down or if I'm fatigued I'm really fatigued like I'm either full of energy and it's normally on caffeine and sugar because I go on play seven so you're high on caffeine and sugar or I'm just absolutely zonked and when I'm tired the whole system is like crashed like you can tell um, but that's again just immunity and that's something I've had to train like train with as well as being an athlete i've had to understand my body and understand when to stop like when the girls on the line ready to go again for another 500 meters you know i've got to then know that i've got to rest and stop and chill because that's what i need to do for me so it's affected my whole career but it is for, for young people who have it now it, it's horrible that you know i have so many messages of messages of people who have lost their hair and there's no real there's no real defining factor of why they say it could be stress they say it could be a moment um they say it could be just you're overworked and your body just attacks it but it comes down to immunity there is a strong link between the stomach and the gut and the hair loss which now if you put that together that could be my alopecia that and, and my anorexia together so um there's different research coming out but there's no there's no there's no tablet, there's nothing you can do to help it grow back. And there's nothing, I do. I take stuff to support my immune system, but that doesn't seem to affect the hair. Again, Fish, I'll say this to you, this is your comeback kid. What, you know, eating disorder, breaking your back, breaking your hand, what made you, what made you get over it? Are you over it? I'm not over it, but I've, I've kind of accepted, I don't think, I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over it, but I have accepted it more. Um, I'm reminded of it every day because everyone else reminds me of it because they say or they say something or they look. So I'm reminded of it and I don't forget. But I don't know, you know, I think 
I try to try and tell myself that this is the way I'm supposed to be. This is this is this is obviously who I am, and I've got a role to play. And maybe that role is coming to fruition, and maybe I've got more to do. I think I have got more to do. I think I'm just starting out my life outside of rugby now. So I've got I've got more to go and do, and maybe this is why I'm like I am. I I try to make it work for me, but I think. I think, um, yeah, I still struggle now. That's been my hardest moment. And it sounds a bit pathetic. It's like, well, it's just hair. And I challenge anyone now who listens or watches to go, right, go and get rid of your hair for the whole rest of your life. And they'll go, well, no, 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 I'm not, not getting it cut. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But yeah, actually, yours will grow back. Mine doesn't. And it does affect your relationships. It affects um, the media stuff you do. It affects your roles that you do in life. It affects all of it. And... I, I think it's it's been a stumbling block, I think, to some, you know, sponsors or partnerships. And I think um, it's just making sure that I marry the right people and do the right thing in life. And, you know, that's why it's very important to me that the values that I work with and people I work with, you know, are the same. So so you would, you, you would say that the, the, the way that you've got through this or are going through this is, is, is that you reevaluate who you are what makes you who you are and you also surround yourself with people who who genuinely care for you and are there to support you and and understand you yeah I think when you go through anything tough in life and I've been through quite a lot it doesn't define you but it, it makes you think about what's important it makes you think about what you need in life and then what you want what you desire and I think it makes you question who you are and I think the biggest thing and the biggest thing I'll say to anyone is do you know who you are do you know what you stand for? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're going? And for me, I can answer those questions now. And probably two years ago at the Olympics, I wouldn't have answered who I was. I didn't know who I was. I think when you're in sport, at international level, people put you on a pedestal. People think you're superhuman. And people think you don't struggle. Actually, we do struggle. I'm not afraid to say I struggle. I think some of the most, the strongest people I know are the most vulnerable people. Um, and that's because they know how to be vulnerable and true to themselves but then they switch that switch and they are off. And I think the learning from the toughest moments is like, it's okay not to be okay. But at the same time, it's time to go. You go. And it's not just, I mean, as you say, it's not just your head, is it? It's all over you. Your follicles are all over you. Yeah, it changes. Yeah, it? So, yeah, it changes. So like I lost my, eye, I lost my eyelashes and my eyebrows for about four years ago. But they, I didn't understand the role of them until I lost them. Well, they stop things getting in your eye, don't they? Yeah, I'm constantly getting stuff in my eyes. And I'm constantly, so in sevens, like we play like in 30, 40, 50 degrees heat, right? right yeah, so yeah. I don't put sun cream on because it drops into my eyes. And yeah, yeah, that's horrible, right? Yeah, and then if I get stuff in my eyes, I can't get it out. So sometimes I'll like, I'll be rubbing it until I get a clump into my eye and I can pull it out because I can't just filter anything out of my eyes. I get really sore eyes. Are you trying to look at my eyes? I'm looking at, I'm thinking about it because you're absolutely... Yeah, I get really so, sore eyes. But you don't really think about it. But Fish, you don't think about it until it happens to you, do you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And no one else is going to think about it until it happens to them. <laughs> exactly, you got it, you got it, you got it. And then you go down the route of thinking, well, I'll just get them like drawn on. But then you think, hmm, now I look a bit weird. And no, my look, my, I'll draw it on here and it'll grow back here. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go down the route of eyelashes. I think you'll just stick them. But then you realise that you need eyelashes to stick the eyelashes too. So I'm like, so yeah. So Also, that is a real, can I just go back to you? Because if you're playing in a really hot, you're out for 80 minutes plus, 
it's hitting the dome head right which is going to crisp up it's going to burn it does yeah sometimes my head's in a state yeah yeah you can't put cream on it because that's going to run in your i mean i a bit of advice i do use something it's giving away my Come tip. On. what is it tell me your tip um i use a um i found it in in um i think it was in was it in peru or Come on, tell me it's, it? it's called Helio Care, and it's like a compact that you put on your head and you rub it in. It's like on a bait, on a pat, and I, and I rub it. I don't have, obviously have makeup people and you make the factor. It's got a factor like 50, it's in, it, factor 50 in it, and you just rub it oh, on your nice. head and it protects your head a bit. And also, as you get older, you don't want those kind of age spots and all the other stuff that you get when you yeah, get yeah. Old. So, yeah, there's a little tip from the cancer. Tell you what, that's quite a good tip. Helio Care. I'm not, I'm not, I don't own shares in the company. <laughs> um, but, but but again there you go because so, you could that runs in your eyes but then yeah, that's what your eyebrows are there for to yeah, stop yeah, exactly. stuff running into your eyes and also that's what your eyelashes are there to help you exactly you got it you got it so it's pretty tough being alopecia but I'm learning to I'm learning to live with it and make it work for me you know I'll tell you what happened once let me butt in here you'll like this one so once when they were, I was trying to make my hair grow back I went to Turkey on holiday and this barber's convinced me Madam, madam, I help you grow your hair back. And I was like, mm, okay, what's this about? He sat me in a chair. I'm so stupid because I actually did it. Imagine this now, Kempi, on your head. So, um, bristle, bristle brush, metal bristle brush. Oh! Rubbed onto the head everywhere until it's bleeding. Then, this thing gets worse, garlic, lemon, and salt rubbed into oh! it all. Literally, honestly. I was an absolute, yeah, I was an absolute pieces. And my head for the whole of that holiday oh, was on absolute fire. Abs, but my hair grew back. You're kidding me. It grew. No, it grew. But I didn't have that pain ever again. So I'm, I'm, not, buying, I'm not buying a wire brush, lemon. That's a, that's a marinade for chicken. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is. Honestly, it was, it was ridiculous. And that's it. It's a fantastic. Put some garlic, lemon, chili flakes. <laughs> chili flakes, yeah, yeah, mate. Are you mad? I tried it, I was, but I wouldn't have done anything. Fish, did, did it really it? make your hair grow back? No, no, I had, I had the next day I woke up, I had, um, I had spikes in my hair. I had it, it was growing back. I promise you, hand on hot. But there's no way I was going for that pain. No way I was going for that pain ever again. That was like crying. I was crying. Just tell me about the future. And also, one thing I do want to talk to you about, there's two things actually, because you mentioned, uh, reading up, um, Bisham was really important to you, wasn't it? Bisham Abbey. So Bisham is the centre, isn't it, for, for sports injuries for athletes, yeah? British athletes. Yeah. Were they good? How good were they? Oh, yeah, really good. Like, so you've, at Bisham Abbey, you've got different programmes. You've got England hockey, you've got the rowers, you've got GB rowers, you've got, you've got tennis, you've got football, you've got different sports there. We've just moved from there to Twickenham. Um, but yeah, we were there for four or five years. Um, it's a great setup. Well, you know, like you're around like minded athletes, you're around other, other Olympians and other. You all of a sudden realise that actually you are quite normal. We're, we're quite obsessive, controlling, crazy characters, but actually we're quite normal in our world of sport, in our bubble. Um, but yeah, they're, yeah, they're really good, and that was where I did my rehab for my back injury as well. You know, when I broke my back, that was where all my rehab took place. Is that when you become a, a DJ on Marlow FM? I, I want to be a radio presenter. That's, what I wanna, that, that's actually so, what I want to do. So is that the future? Talk about let's talk I'd, about. The I'd like well, I'd like to be a radio presenter. It's just kind of getting myself out there and someone I think give me an opportunity to go. Let's see what you like. I'm, I'd love to do that, and 
What in sports I, or just general? No, I'd love to be a breakfast presenter. Why not? That's what I'd love. Um, yeah, for me, like I don't know. I've probably got the face for radio. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Look where you got me. <laughs> no, um, I do love radio. I love. I love the fact that you can make someone feel good and positive and make someone laugh and smile. I think I've spent so many days in the car getting up early, putting England kit on, driving down to Bishop and training. And what's kept me going is the radio. And yeah, I love that connection that you can really connect with people. So I'd love to be a radio presenter. Fish, thank you very, very much for talking to me. You are an exceptional person. Thanks, Gampi. Appreciate that. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Anytime, Fish, anytime. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a Freshwater and the Chancer Collective production. Thanks to the team and one fine play. And until the next episode, goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.